Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. One now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment with his with his uh, feet, with her hair. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. The sister sent to him, saying, "Lord, whom you love is ill." Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the same place where he was. And Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, the resurrection, the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, ye shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the son of God. When she said this, she sent and called her sister Mary, saying, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. So when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and he said, Where have you laid them? And they said, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says, verse 35, and Jesus wept in the time you and i are living in right now it's wars and rumors of war as i'm preaching a war could break out most of you know that anything can happen any moment in our story it's a story of broken hearts it's a story of broken dreams it's a young man that died and it could be a picture of exactly what it was a young man who died a young life taken it's a very difficult moment, and I thought this is a, pific, uh, a perfect picture of what's happening today. It's a difficult moment we're in right now. We have no idea what's going to happen. People's lives have been shattered. People's lives have been hurt. People's lives have been set back. There's been all kinds of disappointments. There's, there's, a, there's an unsureness about life. We don't know what's going to happen on any given day. It's just like it's crazy. And you think, what, how do we get through this time, and what do we really need in these moments that we're in? I'll tell you what we all need is what's provided here is we need a word from God. And I, I think people look all kinds of places. They look for every place but God. Because you and I, in this moment, we need to hear from God. In our story, what's going to get these women, these women through, Martha and Mary, what's going to get them through this moment of heartache is a word from Christ. And so you and I need to have a word from God. The Bible says this in Psalms 107 verse 20. He said he sent his word and he healed them and he rescued them from the pits that they were trapped in. Now the version says he sent his word and he snatched them from the door of death. He sent his word and he delivered them from destruction. And now this says he saved them from destruction. And the word healed means to be, listen to this, it's talking about what God's word does to us. It means to be completely healed. It means to become refreshed. 
It means to be purified. It means to be repaired. It means to be taken care of. But it also means to take care of distresses and anxieties in our souls. So God's word comes to us and it calms our spirits down. God's word does something that no man can do this to us. The word literally means to stitch together, means to mend together. If there was ever a moment we need our lives mended together, we need our lives repaired, helped, and made complete, it's right now. The Bible says that's what his word does. He sent his word, can repair your life, can put your life back together, can refresh you, can make you completely whole, can help you deal with your anxieties and your worries and all your frustrations. That's what the word of God can do. You think about us, and we think about the word. We're adults in here this morning. I'm preaching too, but sometimes the word of God is not just for us. It's for us and our children. Can we say amen? Uriah was just with us a while back, and he informed me and Carmen that he's no longer a child. He said, Uriah, you're you're a young child. He said, I'm not a child anymore, Tata or Nana. I'm a preteen. Okay. The Bible says in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you can read through it in the book of Nehemiah. The people of God, they, their forefathers sinned. They're trying to make things right with God. And the Bible says they brought everyone together, men and women and children, that could understand the law of God. And the Bible says, and they listened intently to the word of God. The Bible went on to say that when the people heard on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel gathered together to fast and to show sorrow for their sins. Then it goes on and says, then the people stood and began to confess their sins that their ancestors had committed. And for about three hours, the law of the Lord was read to them. Tell about a long service. For three hours, you thought I was long. (laughs) For three hours, they they read the word of God to them. And for the next three hours, they confessed their sins and they worshiped the Lord their God. Here's what I want to point out quickly is you think about three hours, they they read the word. And for three hours, they repent of all their sins. And some of you say, man, they must have a lot of sins. We all do. (laughs) And so here they are weeping. And you know they're weeping? They're weeping in front of their kids. And I, I think it's a very healthy thing that your kids see a mom, a father, uh, a dad, a young man, go to the altar and, and cry out to God and repent and weep before God. I think that's a good thing for kids to see. Kids are seeing a lot of things. But they're not seeing a humble parent before God, crying out to God, asking God to forgive them and change their life. Let me tell you what changes our kids' lives is when we allow God to change our lives. But one of the big mistakes I think parents make is they, re- they don't bring their kids to church. They don't bring their kids to church. That's well, they won't understand. Trust me, if your kid is, I don't know, 10, 11, or 12, they're going to understand this preacher. Because I, I try to make it simple. And most of them say, I understand what you said, but you made me laugh. Okay, well, that's fine, too, until you get a little older. But the truth is, God can really lay hold of our kids, man. But we bring them in this atmosphere, and it's so important. But sometimes parents think, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. I just read to you in the book of Psalms, it says he sent his word and he he did all these wonderful works in their lives by the word of God. Hallelujah. That doesn't happen sitting in front of and watching Netflix all night. That does not happen doing anything else, but God's word does that. 
So you have to bring them to the place where they can hear God's word being preached to their hearts. And trust me, kids can get a lot out of service. They hear sermons, they hear things, they learn about God, they learn about God's ways. They see mom and dad answer an altar call, cry and talk to God. And before you know it, it's crazy because the first day your kid raises his hand, wants to come to the altar, you go, man, that's unbelievable. I can't believe he wants to go to the altar. He learned that from you. He saw you get up and go to the altar. Beautiful thing. Uriah was with me in a, I think I shared this one time before. We were in a restaurant I never go to called Zapata's. <laughs> and we were there eating and we were watching. I wasn't watching. It was a soap opera I was on. Some kind of soap thing on. And it was a daytime soap opera in the night. It was a Hispanic version. I don't know what it's called. Um, you know what it's called? What's it called? Okay. Anyway, so they're watching that, and they're, it's on their TV. We're sitting here. The TVs are there, and the girls on the TV are not dressed very appropriately. One of the girls had a real low uh, top on, and you showing herself. And by the way, girls who come, you couldn't, you shouldn't come to church like that. By the way. Okay. Anyway, get off track. So you say, Pastor, now you're meddling. No, hide that stuff, honey. I ain't meddling. Hide it. And uh, so he just glanced at this, and he's sitting there, and he goes, thought, excuse me, can we change the channel? I'm, I'm, I'm not even paying attention. I said, why? I said, what's, what's wrong? He said, that's inappropriate. I don't think I should be seeing that. That's exactly what he said. I said, what? He said, how that girl's dressed. I don't need to see that, Tata. So he asked the waitress, would you please change the channel? Got more sense than most adults. Somebody's preaching. Thank you. The Bible says the illness was not going to lead to death, Jesus said, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and he loved Lazarus. So it's possible to love God, and God love you, and you still get sick and die. So when you heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed that place two days. And so you'll say this, and you may admit to this, does God care? Everyone will probably ask that question many times. Because life, sometimes, because life will present itself, even as a Christian, it will present to you, it looks like God does not care. And over and over again, I think it's presented to you and I, and like in our story, you'd wonder what in the world, because if you read it correctly, it says he found out that he was sick, and it basically, here's the order, he found out that he was sick, so he remained there two days. In other words, it was intentional. He chose to wait until Lazarus dies he gets here on the fourth day, and Lazarus is dead. And so you wonder, how, why would that happen? Here's the truth from that text, simple. That God, you may not understand, but God will purposely delay giving you an answer to something you desperately want. That's what the text teaches us. He will purposely wait to give you something. And you may not look at it now. You look at it and say, why didn't he show up? He could have changed all of this. This could have been averted. We didn't have to deal with this, but he chose not to. And he may not ever explain to you why you live this life here and now, why he did that. But he will do it. That's the truth we have here. That's what the text teaches us, that God will demonstrate his love for us by delay. 
that don't make sense to us. The other thing I said last week quickly was one of the truths I said that one of the things God can do, and it's actually one of the worst things God can do is give you whatever you want, turn you over to your own desires. To have a good life. You say, Pastor, you mean it's bad to have a good life? No, we all want a good life. But Jesus Christ redefined what a good life was. I'll save that for another sermon. But Jesus redefined what we would call a good life. We know what the world calls a good life. That's not what Jesus called a good life. And a couple verses in the book of Psalms simply says it like this. I'm going to read a couple. Because I was jealous of the proud when I saw the things were going so well for the wicked. They do not suffer any pain. They are strong and they are healthy. They do not suffer like other people. They do not have troubles like other people have. And so when you have a good life, that's how you stay proud and arrogant. You think you got it all going on. And when you're like that, you think you don't need God. That's the worst place to be, to be in a place where you don't think you need God. That's how you stay self-sufficient. That's how you stay like, you know, I don't need anything. You'll witness to someone. They have a good house. They have a good car. They have, make good money. And they don't see any need in their life. They're fine. I don't need God. I, I'm fine. Well, no, no, no. That good life, that one you have right there, probably the worst things you could have because you're going to miss God. You think about Jesus. I, I thought about this. When he was tempted in Matthew 4, the Bible says he went into the wilderness. He was hungry. He was tempted by the devil. And when the devil came to Jesus... What did he offer Jesus? Jesus is hungry. The devil comes and says, hey, Jesus, I got some Bud Light for you. No, he didn't. He said, Jesus, you want to smoke something? I got something for you. It's legalized now. and called marijuana. Your father will understand. He doesn't offer him drugs, crack, or heroin. He doesn't offer him any things that you and I would find attractive. Because sinners find sin attractive. Jesus is sinless. See, what works for us don't work for him because there's no attraction to that. Whatever you came out of before you met Christ, that was a stronghold in your life. And not always, but as time goes on, you get further away from it. But in the beginning days, after you get saved, some of those things, they pull on you right away. They pull hard on you at first. If you came out of drugs, you don't need to be around drugs. You need to be a no, no. And someone comes along and wants to tempt you. What do they do? They tempt you with drugs that you used to take. Ideally, you're a heroin addict. Let me tempt you with some heroin. That's not what he does to Jesus. The devil says to Jesus, listen, you fall down and worship me. I'll give you everything the world offers. You know what he's saying? I'll give you everything you need to live a good life. That was the temptation. I'll give you, you won't, you won't have a need in your life. People sometimes think, man, if I just get my life together, I won't have a need in your life. Having no needs in your life is not always a good thing. It's good to know that, you know what, you need God. And you're, and you're kind of desperate, and you need God to help you. You need God to open doors. You need God to bless you. So the devil says, I'll give you everything you need for a good life. Every need in your life, Jesus, I will give you. So you can have your good life, but miss. It would, all he's trying to do is break his relationship with his father, which you know. But the temptation, the point I'm making, it was good things. It wasn't bad things. Now... <clears throat> Last week, I said, Jesus talks to Martha. I'm going to come back to Martha in a minute. Jesus tells Martha on the resurrection and the life. He gives her truth. 
But here, let me talk about tears for a moment. I call this a time for tears. And I said that there are two sisters, Martha and Mary. They say the exact same thing to Jesus. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But he does not respond to each one, each one the same. He responds to each of these sisters totally different. Because I believe the response Jesus gives to these sisters is what's going to get them through. And it's what's going to get you and I through. And I will come back to it in the end. Sometimes we need truth. Jesus says, Martha, at this moment you need to understand truth. I am the resurrection and the life. There's an answer. There's a hope before you. This is not all there is. There's good things going to happen in your life. There's, you have a future. He lays out truth. Sometimes we need truth. Sometimes that's what we need. But other times we, need, we don't just need truth. We need tears. And so you read here, Jesus comes. He doesn't just give the ministry I call the ministry of truth. He gives the ministry of tears. Because the ministry of truth without tears or tears without truth doesn't really help anybody. He says, Martha, there's a hope. There's eternity. There's a solution for evil. And I've come. and I've come to preach that. That's the truth. There's a hope. Get that in your heart, Martha. But then he comes to Mary. He doesn't give her the ministry of truth. He gives her the ministry of tears. Because he doesn't say to Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. When he comes to Mary, he enters her feelings and he weeps with her. He gives her a ministry of truth with tears. We can get to that in a moment. But if you give somebody truth without tears, let me tell you something, it don't work and no one going to listen to you. If all you give somebody is nothing but truth with no heart, they ain't going to listen to you. It's one thing, yeah, you, yeah, you're speaking the truth, but you ain't got an ounce of compassion and there ain't nothing else in you. you yeah, that's a tr- what you're saying is true, but no, no, Jesus doesn't do this at all. Look at the tears of Jesus, and I want you to look what we learned from this. Martha says to him, Mary says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved, the Bible says, and he simply says, where have you laid him? They said, come and see, and the Bible says, and Jesus wept. By the time Jesus gets to Mary, she asked him a question, pretty simple one. Why weren't you here? You could have been here. That's, the, that's all the question. He doesn't even answer the question. In fact, you read it, he doesn't even speak. It seems like he can't even speak. All they say to him, this is, he asks, where did you lay him? And the Bible says, and he begins to weep. He can't even talk. He sees her weeping. He's not saying, I'm the rest. No, 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 I'm not doing the truth right now. He sees what's going on, and he's moved deep, and he's brought into it. And all he can do is but weep. One version says, and Jesus burst into tears. The Bible says in verse 36, the people that were there said, well, look how much he loved him. When they saw Jesus weep and the way he weeped, they realized Jesus really loved Lazarus. Jesus didn't say to Mary or anyone that was there, don't cry, I'm going to fix this in about five minutes. And I said this last week, it's worth repeating. This gives you a picture. And Jesus goes, why would he do this? Because Jesus goes through the suffering with us. The Bible says he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Now the version says, in Jesus, he endured suffering and pain. 
Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yes, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and he was afflicted. In all the affliction, he was afflicted. Even though Jesus knows the pain that he was going through right there with Mary was temporary. He still weeps with you and I. He shows that he cares about you and I by his action, by his heart. He begins to weep. That says the whole story. Even though Jesus knows, you, you think about it, he knows what he's about to do. And I said that last week. And yes, it's painful right now. And, and the truth is, you know what? It is painful. You, you lose someone like in a story. You've lost someone. And the truth is you may, you're going to see them again. But it doesn't take away the pain right now. There's still pain. And sometimes, you know, we don't need theological answers sometimes. We need the presence of our Savior who weeps with us. There's that poem, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And sometimes, all we, you know, sometimes all we need to know, we simply need to know that he's here. Mary says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, you're missing something. I'm here right now. Jesus is standing right in front of her. Mary, I'm here right now. But she's not picking that up. She's picking up that he didn't show up on time. But I'm right here right now, Mary. I'm with you right now, Mary. And even though he's about to change everything, He's still drawn into this moment of her being, her weeping, her broken. He's drawn into the trauma. He's drawn into the pain. And like I said last week, worth repeating is if he knows he's about to change, if he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave, why take the time to weep right now for a few moments? I'm going to raise him in a moment. He could have said, Mary, hang tight, girl. It's going to be okay. He doesn't do that. He chose to weep with her. He chose to go into the grief. Why? Because that's the God. that we, He's a perfect God. He's a God of love. He's a God of perfect love. He understands you and I. That's who he is. He could not do anything but enter in that grief. That's who Jesus is. He refuses to close his heart, even though he's going to change everything in a few moments. He could not do but what he did, and that was, I'm, I choose to go into this with you. Which brings me to my, really my first point. There is nothing wrong with weeping and weeping and weeping at a time like this when things are falling apart. Ecclesiastes says everything that happens in this world happens at a time God chooses. He sets a time for birth. He sets a time for death. He sets a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And I would say this, you know, Christians sometimes, you know, we can quote truth and we miss this element of emotion and care, especially if it's a tragedy. And I won't dwell too much on a tragedy, but when things happen, you know, the Christians are like to say, well, it's, it's okay. I mean, the person's gone now. They're with the Lord now. It's okay. You're going to get okay. You're going to be fine. You know what? Sometimes that's the last thing. You know what? Sometimes that's the last thing people need to hear. You know, I don't need truth right now. I didn't need comfort. I just need to know someone actually cares. 
do your Bible study with someone else later on. But right now, just tell me you act like you care. Here's Jesus. He was the most mature person who ever lived. And yet you find in Scripture, verse 35, and Jesus burst into tears. What does that tell us? I'll tell you what it tells you and I that even the best people, even quote the most mature people, can find themselves weeping and it's perfectly okay. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of immaturity. And yes, I know some people are over the top. I know that. Some people cry over, you know, they cry over anything and everything. I'm not talking about crazy people. The problem with a lot of people today is we got our priorities all messed up. We'll cry about something insignificant. There's people that, that whoever lose the game today, there's adults that will actually cry. Those same adults weren't crying when all those people in Kentucky and all those places in the Midwest that lost their homes, lost their lives. They weren't crying over that. But they cry over a football game. What makes you weep? Tells you what you're thinking. Tell, you know, we, you know we, if I see someone weep for that, for a human life, it tells me where their heart's at. We weep for the wrong things because our hearts are in the wrong things. When you watch these stories of people in the Midwest that lost houses, lost loved ones, lost, lost everything, pets, cat, dog, eating, lost everything, you couldn't help but watch that and be moved. If you, if you, you could, you watch it, look at it for a minute. It's like, you just lost. You get, you're drawn into it. If, let me put it this way. You're drawn into it. You enter it if you have a heart. You can't help but be pulled in. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I would say this. There's something right about it. So the first thing we learn about Jesus weeping is there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a lack of information. It's not a lack of spiritual maturity. It's not a lack of faith. He's just drawn into it because that was his heart. And as Christians, I think we need to have a heart like Christ. Can we say amen? You have to have tears. Show those others that you, you care. I'm not talking about fake tears. But you and I, you know, are we called to enter in? Jesus chose to enter into this thing and be moved to the point that he's actually going to weep. Yes, you and I are called to enter into the lives of other people. Some Christians, you, you look at their life, they, they're not entering into anyone else's life but themselves. If you and I are going to be a good church for this city, it's going to take you and I choosing to enter into the lives of people that don't have it all together like you. It's going to be like Ezekiel says, I'll, make, I'll give you a new heart that's aimed at God and not self-willed. You show me a Christian that's more self-willed and not God-willed, and that's exactly what they are. It's about self and not about God. You show me someone who's always drawn in trying to help people. That's someone like God. That's what we're called to be. Can someone say amen? Living for others, trying to help others. It's exactly what Jesus does. He, choose, he chooses to enter in. I'll ask you a question. In your own life right now. And that's...
what life or lives are around you that you're entering that you can say, you know what, I'm so close to these people that I'm moved to the point. I'm weeping. I'm, I care. And I say weeping. I'm not talking like, like I said, someone who's just emotional and stable, cries about everything. No. Jesus is the most mature person there is, and he's weeping. But you look at your life, ask yourself the question, who am I pouring my life into? Who am I entering into? What life do I care enough that I could cry with them? And it's amazing. Christians, they live their lives. It's so wrapped up in themselves. They haven't shed a tear for anyone in years. There's something wrong with that. That's not like Christ-like. Can, can you agree? You folks are silent this morning. And the reason why you don't enter in because you have no one around you. You've chose to live your life for yourself. Do it the way you want to do it. Without reaching out to anyone else. You don't want to be bothered. Don't interrupt me. Leave me alone. I got my plans, my desires. I'm You're not pouring your life into anyone. So you have no one around you. It's not what Christ did. And that's not how, that's not how Christ lived. Jesus was moved. He's entered in. Let me go back to Martha quickly. Jesus asked Martha something. And I like this because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though he die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And Jesus is giving Martha something. It's not just hope. Like, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I hope you get through it. Jesus gives Martha something. I want all of us to see. He's giving Martha. He said, I am the resurrection life. I'm not going to be resurrection. I am resurrection. I am life. There's life. It's now. It's here. It's something that's available to you. But he asked the question, do you believe this? Because about what I'm about to say, you cannot have the benefits of the gospel without knowing Christ yourself. I can talk about heaven all day long. You'll never see heaven unless you meet Christ here on earth. You may love the sermon, see, I love all that, but you ain't getting none of it unless you meet Jesus yourself. Martha, do you believe that? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And she says, yes, I, I, I believe, Lord. I believe that you're the son of God. So here's my second point. My only last, my last point is this, and I like this. Here's, here's what he offers. He offers not a consolation, but rather redemption and a resurrection. Listen to what I'm saying. Not a consolation, but rather redemption and a resurrection. What do I mean by not a consolation? He doesn't say to Mary or Martha, Martha, you're going to get through this. My deepest condolences. I'm with you. You know, you know what's amazing? When I got sick recently where I was in the hospital, I had family and different people. I love my family. But unsaved people, people that don't know the Lord, that's all they can offer. They can offer some condolences, some comfort. Say, I hope you get better. But they can't touch God for you. They, they can't say, Pastor, uh, someone who's unsaved, they can't say, I'm praying for you. You might be praying for me. You ain't getting nowhere because you don't even know God. Right? It's like there's only so much they can do, but a Christian can touch God for you. Hallelujah. Totally different. Yes. 
They can't pray to God on your behalf. They can't speak any eternal truths into your soul when you desperately need a word from God. Jesus does not say to her, just trust in me. You're going to get through this. Someday you're going to be all right. I give you my deepest condolences. And the word condolence means to give sympathy, but it also has the idea of it means to give sympathy to someone, but knowing there's nothing you can do to change the outcome. Jesus does not come to you and I and give us condolence, but deepest sympathy. He's the opposite. I'll give you my comfort, but I can do everything, and I will do everything, and I've done everything to change the outcome. That's a lot better than just a simple comfort. I'm changing your future. I'm giving you redemption, a resurrection. And if you're a Christian, most of you know what I'm about to say quickly. If Christ comes, we leave this earth. And I, I don't know a whole lot about heaven. I've never been there yet. I hope to be there. But we know one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Right? We know one day God's going to restore everything that's been lost. And it's going to be a million times better than anything we've ever imagined. You think about the earth that we're on right now. It's a cursed earth. And there's beautiful pictures of places on the earth. Even these pictures here, beautiful. Look how beautiful that is. But that's a cursed version. We can't even imagine what this world's going to be like that's... Jesus said, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Well, and dwells righteousness. Christ is going to set everything right. Every wrong would be righted. Everything that's ever happened. You and I can't even imagine a world like that. All we know is, the, think about it. All we want to do is live a life without pain. He says, I'm giving you a lot better than a life without pain. It's going to be a million times better. In that place, there'll be no more sickness, no more disease, no more. None of those things will be there. I, I know we can't even grasp that. I, I, all I want for myself, I just want to get up and not be in pain. That's it, Lord. I, I'll be happy. Give me that one. I'm good. He said, I'll give you a lot more than that. I'm giving you a resurrection and a new life, a new heaven and a new earth. Someplace. Everything will be better. Everything. And when he says to Mary, I mean to Martha, if you're here and you're a Christian and you can hold on to what I'm saying, you can say, you know what? Life, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you believe in me, this is yours, you can have resurrection life while you're alive now. Do you know that, Christian? The Bible says the same power that raised him from the grave dwells in you right now. And he says you can have life right now. I, I know one day we have, no, right now you, have a, you can have a dimension in your life that's supernatural that God, God wants to give you because he died on the cross for you. And as a Christian, you see, you know, I believe there really is heaven. New earth. One day, Jesus is going to rule the world. He's going to set everything right. I, don't, I tell you, it's going to be a trip. Some folks are going to get there, and God said, I made you a janitor. What? <laughs> yeah, but I was so-and-so. Yeah, I know. You're a janitor here. <laughs> and that, that, that poor old lady coming to church gives her a little minute. She, she, oh, yeah, she over here, she runs cities. You made how it's all going to Billy Graham used to say, you may get to heaven, and someone's going to be like, 
would be amazed. I thought after Pastor Mitchell died, I said, I know Jesus put him in charge of outreaches. There won't be no more outreaches, but if there was, Pastor Mitchell would be running his outreaches. I don't understand. I can't even grasp how it's going to be, but it will be. And so when you're living your life during these difficult times, we don't know what the next year or five years is going to hold. What's going to get me through? The revelation of what I just said. That God says to Martha, Martha, uh, I'm not just comforting you. There is a hope. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Your brother, you're gonna, he, he's going to live again. In fact, we, I didn't really get into it. He's going to live again and he's going to die again. I mean, he raised Lazarus from the grave. And guess what? Lazarus died again. And they, they say this about Lazarus. How come after he got back from the grave, God raised him from the dead? Why don't we hear any words from him? A lot of the commentators say because he was caught up in awe of being to heaven. And he couldn't even utter the words of what he saw and experienced. That's a good explanation, maybe. You go to heaven, come back to earth like, please. I know what I would say. Lord, please, let me get back on. Hey, take me back up. Can I go back up? <laughs> you would think there's not, no words from him. He's like. But he would die again. But he would live again. And if you believe that, and we do, that revelation is what gets you through life. I got wronged. I got hurt. I got beat. I was abused. I got taken advantage. I was betrayed. God, it's not right. I'll make it all right one day. I wish it wasn't so. But thank God. My sister said to me this morning, Pastor, I'm glad you're preaching on Thursdays. And you know, I am doing better. Thank God. I don't take it for granted. Some of you probably think, oh, well, she wasn't preaching Thursday. But anyway, okay. But I'm preaching, and I'm getting a little bit better and a little better and a little. But his, I always have nightmares. used to have nightmares. I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know, a thousand. I don't know. I'm exaggerating. No, I'm probably not exaggerating. Over years and years of nightmares. I mean, bad. They're so graphic and so bad. I went and I tell my wife what they were. I wouldn't tell anyone else. It's too too bad, too graphic, too wicked, wicked, wicked. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Slowly, it started happening less and less and less. And now I don't, I don't have that often at all. Now I just have bad dreams. Bad dreams from nightmare? I'm happy. See, how can that be? You don't know my nightmares. But my bad dreams are, 
you know, if you're married, you've seen this happen in your own life. A bad dream is you have a bad dream. You get up you're with your wife and wife goes, why are you being so nice to me? Did I die last night in your dreams? <laughs> have your wife ever tell you that? Yeah, my wife has. She goes, why are you being so nice to me? Honey, did I, die, did I die last night? That's why you've been so nice to me? You know, and even if that happens, it's not like you get, you know, reconciled. Okay, you died and here's a new wife. This doesn't happen. It's like I take care of the problem. But sometimes these nightmares or these bad dreams now would be one of my sons would die or one of my wife would die or a medic said sons would die. And be, but it'd be so real. And I won't mention who or what son it was. I, was. I got up one morning, I was weeping. I mean, I was weeping like I don't know if I've ever wept before. And my wife says, Carrie, he's alive. But it was so real, even though she said he's alive, in my head, in my moment, in that two minutes, he was still dead. And every time I thought about him for a second, I started weeping, just weeping, which I don't. Before I got saved, I don't think I ever cried. After I got saved, that's all I ever do is cry. But I was just weeping, and I was weeping. And my Carmen says, Gary, he's alive. He's not dead. And what I would love, and I don't ask for it, but after I get my composure and realize it's all untrue, I get so happy. I get so happy. I say, you know what? He's not dead. He's alive. Everything that I thought was untrue, all the, everything that I, that I thought was true is untrue. And that joy that would come, it's happened a number, not a lot, but it's happened enough. My wife, after she died, wake up, she's still there now. <laughs> no, but no, the joy that come, my son, I thought for sure. But that, the only way I can explain it is like euphoria, just come over you, like everything I believe is untrue. That's how it's gonna be someday, church. One day there's gonna be a morning coming, we're gonna wake up. See, every, all that bad stuff I believed, it's all untrue. It's a whole new world. Would you bow your heads? Every head bow. You're here this morning. Every one of us, Christ died for you. He came to give you resurrection and life. Maybe you're here this morning, first of all, you're not right with God and you want to get right. Heaven's a real place, bro, sister, young man. But so is hell. Christ came so you would not have to experience pain of sin Jesus came and he, he died on the cross because he loved you he rose again on the third day because he loved you he did not have to do that but he chose to do that and you're here this morning and say you know what I'm going to give my life to Jesus Mary was broken Martha was broken he says Martha I'm the resurrection and the life do you believe this because if you believe my, the revelation I'm giving you, it'll carry you through life. 
And Mary, I'm right here with you. I offer you tears and I offer you my presence. That's what God still offers every one of us today. He offers us a hope. He offers us his tears. He offers us his presence. And you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray to receive Christ as my Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. Maybe you're watching me. You're going to give your life to Jesus. You say this, dear Heavenly Father, come into my life, Jesus. My life is yours. I'm sorry for my sins and self-will. I surrender my life to you. Every head bowed in this congregation, everyone in here, there's a hope for your life. How much you've messed up, how many bad decisions you've made, there's always hope for your life. But it's found in Christ. It's not found in this world. There's people in here this morning, God was speaking to you. He offers you his comfort. He offers you a hope. He offers you his truth. Let's all stand. I'm going to open these altars. You just want to come and talk to your God. Come and talk to him. Let's all stand and find a place to pray. Hey folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share it with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time.